ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to uh, our first podcast. And like, it's almost been two weeks, actually, because <laughs> I was I was away at a conference and then we didn't really have much to talk about last week with the international break, even though we have much to recap, at least this week about it. And now we're here. So it's been two weeks. Apologies. But welcome back, nonetheless. And of course, I'm joined by Rian, who is sat in his Brooklyn apartment and contemplating the meaning of life as he looks outside into the rain. How do you feel about that? <laughs> the fact that you uh, had to go it's outside. Been a terrible. It was a terrible day. I, um, it was disgusting. Actually, yeah. It still yeah, is, it was, it, was a, it was a terrible day. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, going out for lunch was pretty terrible was like absolutely horrendous thank you yeah it's just it was just so gray and disgusting so the the, the falls really hit us very suddenly i felt yeah. like last year there was a bit more of like a it it felt like it was really warm for for like october's and for like november um and now it feels like we just went straight into the fall weather and it's like immediately 50 degrees <laughs> after, <laughs> and cloudy after and weeks, rainy yeah after weeks of being like 88 and humid as hell so seriously i kind of no, like no i kind of love it though like truly i do like i yeah i prefer this i prefer this i prefer and, this 100%. well maybe i don't prefer the rain but like right, I outside prefer of that <laughs> the temperatures 100 100 yeah i like I keep complaining to people how much I've said this here, how much I hate summer. Like summer <laughs> is not my favorite season. It's my least favorite for like every reason that I just mentioned. Um, but anyway, I digress. It was terrible. <laughs> um, I'm going to Miami next weekend though. So I'm really excited about that. So oh, I will nice. be very lately celebrating my birthday. With some friends. Very um, nice. Yeah. Just 80 and sunny. I can deal with that for two days and then coming back <laughs> and then sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna yeah. be yeah yeah you might still have to deal with some humidity there but i know i know that's all it's a sacrifice i'm willing to make at this point <laughs> so but yeah i'm excited for it um what else is new what's going on in the world um i feel like the one thing I'll, I'll share my like one positive that i've noticed i feel like i've been able to see a lot more people recently and that's i mean it sounds like weird to say right but we still kind of live in a covid world and like it's it's just, it, it's just nice to see people i don't know it's just nice to see people a little bit more now i yeah see i, I miss seeing you is that all right can i say yeah that? look yeah of course of course i miss seeing you too uh, but <laughs> like they they i feel like what you're referring to is like so many more housewarming parties that specifically, yeah um that just couldn't happen the last couple of years, right? Yeah. Like last year started coming back somewhat normally, but obviously, um, the like COVID was still a thing. Like, like and you had Omicron too, yeah. And then Omicron ended up, you know, killing the last like month and a half of of the calendar last year. Um, and so like now this is this summer was like the first pretty close to normal summer that we've had since like 2019 uh, and now fall is pretty much the same too which pros and cons we've already talked about one of the cons which is like having to go outside for our jobs <laughs> but yeah the pros is obviously having this time to like see friends who are either like just moving to the city or 
uh, people are moving to new places and actually having full gatherings of people again. So yeah, it's all, I guess it's all part of the quote unquote nature is healing thing, right? But true. Yeah, sure. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's it's been nice to actually get out and see people um, yeah. more than we have in in three years. Wow. Yeah. Honestly, it's just yeah, it's just nice. I miss house parties. I miss seeing people. I will say, <laughs> I'm exhausted. Like after doing stuff like that, like yeah, I realized like I got to basically yes yesterday Sunday because we're recording this on Monday night. I was floored. I went to bed at ten o'clock and got up at like. <laughs> 7 30 i was tired so i can't do it all the time but it's nice to know the option exists so anyway rian do you want to talk about some soccer do you want to talk about things going on yes. in that world okay let's do that so let's start with a topic that we haven't talked about actually in about two or three months um and it's a topic that i'm going to time rian on uh it's something we talked about <laughs> literally right before we started recording we're going to talk about basically the not obviously the penultimate game before the World Cup for the U.S. Men's National Team. Well, both well, they, have a, they have a friendly games. Well, no, no. They, I thought they have a friendly against Jordan. Or am I? No, no. no? Those are the those are the last games. All right, ignore me. Um, <laughs> cool. Maybe I'm thinking about another team um, that has that friendly. But okay, the two last games before the World Cup for the U.S. Men's National Team, and we're going to talk about kind of how we feel a little bit for obviously leading into the world cup we'll talk about it i'm sure in about a month's time as well but rian two uh how you say a uh, poo-poo games from <laughs> from the u.s men's national team um i think a lot of questions coming greg berhalter's way and uh even some criticism slash reminders that he is in fact in that position due to uh like like you say uh nepotism so um <laughs> What were your thoughts coming out? I want to start with the game against Japan and then we'll go into the rest of things. But what were your what were your thoughts kind of on that first game from the national break? I mean, the first game going into it, you know, you know, there were a lot of injuries going to that. And you should a lot of it should be prefaced by the injuries that the national team had going into it, and specifically how important those players were. And um talking about like Eunice Musa. Uh, Timothy Way, uh, Girana did play, I think, well, 45 minutes in one of the games and then had to come off early. He felt a strain in his hamstring the second game, but um, you're missing those players plus Chris Richards, who would normally be starting a center back for, for the U.S. And, um, and you just kind of felt the, those losses in, in both of those games, right? Japan and Saudi Arabia. I think it the uh, Japan game was just really poor from like a effort from like a quality point of view and just like every everything about that game was pretty terrible. Um and I think just like overall with the team, well one of the things that we probably learned that honestly probably a lot of people who've watched the team through qualifying not that surprised to, to hear or say is that the depth is kind of a a big problem like there there isn't a lot of depth in the areas outside of i guess the attackers really um and you see how hard that drop off is from Yunus musa to basically anyone else like, like basically I mean, anyone I like, that's what i was gonna say i, I like yeah. delatory but that's still not the same t- 
type of player. And, right, and, and, right. and at this point, Yunus Musa is a better player than him overall, too. So um, it's a huge drop-off there. And then there's even a huge drop-off in the second center back when you're talking about the normal pairing is Zimmerman and um, and Chris Richards, but no Richards meant for, for, for whatever reason, Aaron Long was getting the start. Um, and then even when like Mark McKenzie came on, mixed results between those two games right and um you're right like there's a lot of question marks I think the question marks that Burhalter had going into that break or just weren't answered like those question marks are still there and then um it's it was a pretty sobering game against Japan I like that word I like that That sobering game I, I think that's a good way to put it the one question I had for you, not necessarily about the game, but just the the roster as you were talking about it, is I feel like a topic that a lot of people have talked about for maybe the better part of a year and a half, two years, but John Brooks, do you feel like he should be in the side? I actually have never asked you that question. Yeah, I, I think that's a – I just don't sit on the fence of being passionate about it either way. Honestly, I, I I think circumstance, circumstantially, if the team is going to play like this, play out of the back and, um, you know, play that way, then he, he should probably be on the like higher on the depth chart than Aaron Long. Correct. Like he should probably be higher on the depth chart than Mark McKenzie. Um, probably be higher on the depth chart than Cameron Carter Vickers. Like he should probably be in the at least the top four of the de- defenders that the U.S. would take uh, if you're playing that playing style. At the same time, the way the U.S. plays in that high line, uh, we also saw it during qualifying. Like the, there's, there's reasons outside of, obviously, some issues that Brooks and Berhalter have um, on a off-the-field level. Uh, but there's obviously, there's also, like, the problems on the field. Like, we're very quick to forget like the the first game against Canada in qualifying at home, um, the goal that Canada scores, it's just really bad defending from John Brooks, just like losing his man. And, and I think he had issues as well against um against Canada in the second game. Like it's it's there was a reason as well why it took so long for clubs to sign him. I know he ends up going to Benfica in the very last week of the window, but like we don't know how much he was demanding in wages, obviously, but again, if he was a if he was like this really good center back that we that like I felt comfortable relying on um in the World Cup against a higher level competition than we see in CONCACAF, like I don't think it would have taken him as long as he as it did for him to sign with the team. And I don't, I don't think that Wolfsburg would have That's been a really so, good point. so yeah. okay with letting him go. Like, I, I, I understand. I really do understand, like, the, the outrage around, like, him not being on the team compared to certain other players that I've already named. Um, and I understand that, but I, I just, I just can't bring myself to get super passionate about him being on the, on the team, even though I do think that overall he'd have a net positive impact. Um, I think you see like a similar situation with uh, Jordan Pifak, right? He's doing great for for Union Berlin. Um, has joined that team and, and done really well. 
the way that they play, they play with two strikers up top. They play like a four, four, two, and they just, they just play very direct. And, and again, like there's kind of two separate questions when you think about the national team right now is one, are we bringing like all of our quote unquote best players? Right. And to take a step back, every national team has the same question with (laughs) every single one. And, and just because a player is really good it might not mean that he works well with the rest of the players in your team like that's that's a separate question but yep Yep. for the overarching questions are are we bringing our best players and two are we playing in a way that suits our best players that second one is probably more important and probably like something we can really answer easily like we're probably not right now and if you bring pfok in the way that we play right now i just don't think he would work i i I don't think he's good enough technically we've also seen him play for the national team like he's 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 a target man like and if that's how we want to play then then you know what that makes more sense why aaron long would be in the team that makes more sense why jordan pfok would slot into like the starting 11 like that makes sense and uh and it might even make sense to play that way because as i've said before overall like our center midfielders outside of Musa pretty much we're not are not very good at getting the ball forward and not very good passers like that's just the fact yeah. as much as we love those guys like um that's and not you tweeted strong... about this yeah this yeah. isn't I don't think this is news but that actually leads me to the last question that I had and and more so I think something that we saw in this the game against Saudi Arabia was a little bit around the midfield's performance and more so also Christian Pulisic um does your does his form, I guess, concern you? And does the inability for some combination in this midfield to not like be progressive carriers of the ball think that's going to be like the ultimate downfall for them in the World Cup? Or does Pulisic's, Pulisic's performance plus basically the opposite of what I just said not concern you? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I think all those things concern me. And specifically, again, if, if this is how we're going to play, um and you know one of the questions is, is this how we should we should play maybe not uh, no, but if this is how we're going to play then yeah that does concern me for sure and then on Pulisic he's you know, he he's a he's a really good player like it's it but he's not perfect like I like there is there's kind of a reason why like I would personally say that Gio Reyna like is the best is the most talented player on the team. Um, you know, his health is a different issue, but he's the best player on the team. I think he's got the best like awareness um, and technical ability, but I, I think that Pulisic always plays better for the U S anyway. And so I, I'm not that worried about his club form. I'm, I'm more worried about how he plays within again, the system, the style that the U.S. plays, like he, we we lose a lot of like with winger play with him on the pitch. Like he wants to come inside, and and you know nature of the style of player he is. But I I think there's going to be a lot of conflating things like that, that end up being the downfall of this team. One of the major ones being the coach. I think the other one being that pretty simply like this team is right now not as good as I think some 
fans reactions to what happens like would lead you to believe if that makes sense right like especially like fans u.s fans on twitter like like u.s soccer fans on twitter well that, that could be the case like, for any fan base but i, I, of course, I guess i get what of you're course, saying yeah of course but but like we know what the narrative is going to be in the u.s going into this game going into these uh this world cup and it'll probably get picked up internationally too but it's going to be this is the golden generation these guys are going to are better than, than than players we've had in the past. Yeah, and and that might be true, but currently at at a lot of like their ages or development, they're still going to be probably the youngest team at the at the tournament. Like they are not, they're not at that level right now. And, and I I hope that that doesn't turn people off of the team, like because. Look, we could very easily come out of those three games with like one point. Yeah. yeah. In, in the in the group stage and be out. Like I, I hope that I hope I want people to know that could happen very easily. <laughs> like very easily. And and honestly, I could have seen that happening without these two international the games from this past uh break. Like that's not what's coloring my my opinion on it. But True. um but at the same time, this team could very well come out of that group with like four points. They could like there, there's, there's such a range because none of them are consistent, good, consistently good players right now at a high level. So <laughs> it's, it's just, it is what it is. And, and it doesn't mean that they're going to be bad, but it's like, we think you have to be very patient with this team still. And, and whoever goes to Qatar, I'm, I'm supporting them. I'm, I'm hoping that they do great, but um, also like we, we got to just temper it a little bit. Just, just, I mean, I don't think anyone is like extremely <laughs> bullish on them making the, the knockout rounds though, to be fair. Like, I don't, well, I guess we're, we're going to, there's going to be a lot of people watching this world cup who aren't massive soccer fans, even if they are decently, yeah. decently um, big soccer fans, like they might not knowing the teams that they know and knowing the teams that these players are playing on, they might have a bit of like an inflated sense of how a lot of them stack up against the very best players in the world. If that's kind of like the nicest way for me to, for me to put it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super fair. I'm not going to argue with you on that. Well, I, uh, I'm not going to say that you went overtime. I'm going to say that you used the appropriate amount of time that you should have on that. Any other comments that you'd like to make before? I'm sure we will talk about them, obviously, closer to the no, World no. Cup. No, no, we've got, we've got lots of time. We've got lots of time to discuss, and there's no reason to <laughs> get too into it now because, honestly, in a month and a half, like six of these guys could be injured and not being able to play in the, in the World Cup anyway. So, 100%. 100%. Well, with that, Rian, let's move on to talk about the Premier League. Let's talk about our game of the week. There were two major, major games, obviously, that occurred this past weekend. The North London Derby and the Manchester Derby. And Rian is dropping things all over his desk, apparently, <laughs> just at the thought of both of these games. Both of these games were amazing, honestly. Like, I watched both of them, shockingly, to my sleep's demise. But our t- our game of the week is actually going to be the Manchester Derby. Nine goals, a stupid amount of goals from Erling Holland again as well as Phil Foden, obviously, but in a weird way, he seems to be like a side note or a footnote in this game. Rian, 
where do you want to start with this Manchester Derby? Do you want to start talking about City or do you want to start with United? Because I feel like we could talk about both sides for an hour. Yeah, it's I, I don't know if I could talk about United for an hour. I'm going to be honest. Oh, I could. I could. Well, then I, I, <laughs> that's fine with me. I, I can happily do that. But continue. Uh, but no, I I think from the from the city side, like we got to start with who else? You know, I, I like to call Ederson? him. Yes. Yeah, yeah, nice. exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, I like to relate him to a, a character on Dragon Ball Z from time to time. Um, it's three straight hat tricks for Erling, Super Boo, Majin Boo, Holland. <laughs> three straight home Premier League hat, trick, hat tricks for him. At the same time, he became the quickest to reach three hat tricks in the Premier League buys about 40 games. I, the, the impressive stuff about him was not just the goal scoring. Like that was, you know, impressive, of course, but we're getting used to it in a weird way right now, uh, which is really scary to think about. But I think like his creation was also really, really impressive in this game too. Um, he ended up having 34 touches in this game, which is actually higher than his average this season, which is like 25 touches. <laughs> another insane. Another, we just, we like, all kind of said the stats <laughs> would be weird. It's going to be weird. Of course. Of course. This one, he had 34 touches, 10 of them in the box, and it's six shots. And of course, he had his hat trick. Um, you know, he pretty disappointing. He only put up an XG of about around one. <laughs> below his below his season average of like 1.2 it, it was that was pretty disappointing um but again from the I actually the hate you <laughs> <laughs> that is that is outrageous and I don't think honestly we're going to understand the full scope and magnitude of how impressive the output has been just I mean I, like you could look at the goals and just that's a stupid amount obviously but just in terms of creation, chance creation, I would love to know what the comparison to basically the other top five, um, how do I phrase this? The other top five finishes uh, for top score in the Premier League would be. Like, what was their extra at this point through the year? Yeah, I just yeah. want to know. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be a good one. I think we have probably some of the recent Kane and Salah seasons to look at, but that's, that's something I will, I will come back to you on. Um, but, but like I was saying, like outside of the goal scoring, like his, the chance creation was, was really impressive. He had three key passes um, and obviously had his two assists, this <laughs> assist to Foden on his, I mean, honestly, both assists were really good, but the first one specifically where he basically played the De Bruyne pass from like the other side of the pit and it was Holland himself playing it um literally like it it's it's insane levels right now right is that 14 goals in the Premier League after eight games um I just I don't know what, what what much more to say about him like I just really feel like so many times we thought of people would say oh man it would have been great to have like Zlatan in his prime in, in the Premier League or um you had like a couple of the prime Ronaldo seasons, but not before he went like supernova when he went when he went to Madrid. 
Um, and then obviously no met haven't had that with Messi, but um, and we'll we'll see what happens with Mbappe's career, of course. But right now, Erling Holland, he's he's at that level. Like, like not I'm not saying in terms of like overall quality, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about like global, like superstar level, like the best in his position in the world, right? Yeah. Like oh yeah. At, at at what he does, which is just purely scoring goals, uh, being in the right place to score goals like it's it's a phenomenon genuinely and i think one of the most impressive parts about it is that we all expected him to be a good goal scorer for city with the amount of service that he was going to get from the player that he already was when he was coming but the fact that our expectations have been so wildly exceeded is astounding and also keep in mind early holland is only 22 years old. Like he just turned 22 in July. So he's got at least another 10 years of this. Rihanna apparently doesn't yeah. want to talk to yeah, me. Yeah, I could I know I could <laughs> find, couldn't find the mute button on mute. No, um <laughs> yeah, you're like he's he's got again, health permitting. Um and and that's the thing we have to think about right now. We are still so early into the season and injuries were a problem for him last season. And um, at times two seasons ago, but right now it's just, you don't see how it stops because so much of what he's doing is just so sustainable. It's just constant movement. It's constantly being in positions to being in good position for teammates to find you. Um, obviously, he's playing with the best chance creating team we've ever seen, like in the world. Um, maybe not we've ever seen. Uh, uh, respect to no, uh, respect. Early, respect to, <laughs> to um, late 2000s, early 2000s, Barca teams, of course. But we're like the best chance creating team over the last five years. And um, you, you're just. You're not surprised. Like, nothing's going to surprise you. His goal total will not surprise anyone this season, and that is insane to me. Like, whatever he ends up scoring, unless it's below 25 goals, realistically. Like, if it's below for 25 the season? goals. If it's below 30 goals for this season, people might be like, wow, what happened? But, <laughs> but, but, but specifically, under 25, that might surprise people. But anything else? you're not going to be surprised. Like any number that someone says right now, you would be like, okay, yeah. If he's, if, if he's healthy the entire season, I could see that. I could tell you 40, 40 goals. <laughs> tell you 40 goals. And, and that feels honestly, that's more likely than, than not at this moment, but yeah. I could tell you 50 yeah. goals and you'd be like, well, <laughs> there's a path to it. Yeah. Yeah, there absolutely is. Um, and I think we, we talked about this, but, the fact that he isn't going to the World Cup and just gets a month of rest is just for a striker basically facing defenders that have not stopped playing. <laughs> I mean, that's your dream right there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, just traveled yeah. across the the entire globe and then had to come back. Literally, <laughs> like, yeah, literally halfway yeah. across. Insane, insane. Yeah, but. Anyway. but- yeah, uh, one last thing before I guess we move on to the United side of this is shout out to Kevin De Bruyne again, who's I, I just checked today and I didn't realize he's thirty three. <laughs> he's thirty three right now. If you if you didn't tell me that, I wouldn't have guessed it. 
insane yeah you know he's just proving how long like the prime of playmakers can last really like I think it's it's like one of the things we're seeing right now with you know Messi and and Ronaldo's late career right where Messi just always had that playmaking ability and now he's just leaning on that a lot more than than um you know the athleticism and and strength and power that he had to use before but Ronaldo's obviously struggling because of his game relied a lot on his athleticism um and from a De Bruyne point of view like that guy's obviously still very athletic but and and can hold people off the ball as good as anyone but the chance creation is just it doesn't die like he's leading the league in assists and expected assists and key passes and and of course goal creating actions so just had to give the flower give some flowers to Kevin De Bruyne even though he doesn't need it but just still have to throw it out he's 33 ridiculous ridiculous but let's move on to the united side because that is the side i also want to touch on um you know what what i was kind of appreciative of in this game was the fact that ten Hag decided once again to start christian erickson in a double pivot with scott mctominay (laughs) which seemingly not only of course just does not allow him to be as creative as he as he is as a player but forces him to do a lot of the defensive running uh which post heart attack slash cardiac arrest again <laughs> must be really good for the body um rian i wasn't really surprised by the scoreline by halftime i'm just gonna be honest like i really really think that this scoreline was very fair bar the two goals that United scored. Anthony's goal was ridiculous and like hats off, unreal, beautiful. But I didn't at any point in that first half feel like United were ever going to gain control. I felt like they were second to everything. And when I say second to everything, I mean, no one was opening up passing channels for each other. And City, like it looked easy. It looked so easy for City to close down every little space. So, I don't know. I just don't think that this was a game that United showed up to. And after beating Liverpool and Arsenal, I would have expected a little bit more of a fight. But these are the true colors of Manchester United right now. And I think Sir Alex Ferguson's face in the crowd said it just best. Um, Oh, man. Yeah. That's a tough tough look. Yeah. I mean... The Erickson thing, yeah, it it always, it's just, I guess it's just what's going to happen for most of the season. I mean, because he's, it, we're now eight games in, like, he wants to start Erickson in every game if he can. So that's just what's going to happen. And then he's not, I, I don't think Bruno's going to get dropped for like, a, for an extended amount of time, maybe from game, a game here and there, um, but extended amount of time, no, and Oh man, even if Casemiro comes in, which uh, he came on for McTominay in the second half, um, but even if Casemiro's coming in, like there's still so much ground to cover, to be covered there. And I just don't believe in that as a trio defensively. Um, So I don't know. I I don't think it's like back to square one or anything like that for United. Um, Look, they're just a worse, they're a worse team. And City were outstandingly ruthless in a way that they haven't been 
over past years, especially in these games against United, where you're just like, how are they losing this game? Or how do they draw this game? Um, and just because they didn't finish. Meanwhile, <laughs> yesterday they had great finishes from Holland and uh, Phil Foden. Obviously, I got to give him his flowers too for so those great finishes. But yeah, I, uh, I just think, I, I, I tweeted yesterday that, or maybe it was two days ago, that we got to start thinking of the possibility of, of Chelsea and Liverpool not making it um, into the top four. And, and we're going to speak about Liverpool later. But honestly, during that Manchester derby, I was like, um, maybe not. Maybe. I, <laughs> I still actually have some faith that one of these two teams finishes above United. <laughs> so at least one of them, I think, probably will. So maybe, I'm a, maybe I was just a little reactionary. Um but, it was definitely a little reactionary, but not like overly reactionary. You know what I mean? Like it yeah, wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. expect to see. I just, I just kind of forgot like the depths of how bad United can be with their current, like the current makeup of their players of their yeah, squad. So yeah, yeah. You do you you easily forget just how again poo poo they yes, they really the floor are. is really low with them. Yeah, yeah. It really is. It really is. But. <laughs> I will say this, was there, was there any part of you that was like, not mildly impressed, but just a little like hopeful when you saw Anthony Martial come on? There's a part of me that was like, yeah, I feel like he needed that, you know, even if it was a penalty and it's just like a very scrappy goal, those sort of things. And I think we, we really underestimate the power of confidence in the same way that you and I have confidence in different things and it yeah. fluctuates. So do these players. And sometimes I think we forget that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I, I thought he came on and, and did well. And I still, I still like the idea of him in that front three and with whether it's like Rashford and Sancho or Rashford and Anthony, Sancho and Anthony, whatever. Um, I still really like the idea of, of Martial in the middle because his link up plays just better than anyone else they could put at the nine like Rashford's very very direct at that nine like he's not gonna bring yeah, other players yeah. into play and stuff and like I just think Martial especially in a team that when when you're playing Bruno as the as the tag like there's not gonna be a lot of link up he's just he plays as someone has noted on Twitter like he plays the shot clock in his head like he's oh my god yeah he's trying to hit it (laughs) down the pitch like as soon as possible so yeah you're not getting a lot of like intricate controlled possession um when Martial's not in the team yeah yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. I, I, you, you mentioned a player in Sancho that I actually wanted to talk a little bit about, but I'll, I'll very briefly say, I think a lot of people were really critical of him during and after this game. I actually thought he had an okay game. I thought he was the only one that was able to hold the ball and maintain possession for longer than three seconds. I thought he utilized basically the touch line because that's the only space he could find um, as much as possible. I think there were a couple of times where he cut inside and, and lost the ball, but I don't think that's a byproduct of just him. I think it's a byproduct of the entire team. I think it's a byproduct of City being that good, but I don't think he's on track, unfortunately, to be young player of the year right now, as you yeah. you so predicted <laughs> earlier in the in the season. Yeah, that's not feeling great right now. It's not feeling <laughs> like a good not feeling like a good possibility of that happening. Either. Yeah, he's he is obviously, I think. To some level, he is disappointing right now, but I, I, I still want to give him the time 
um like the time to like be a good player within this team be and who knows maybe it's just not possible in the in the makeup of the squad right now and and that's kind of maybe the, the story of a lot of Manchester United players who have signed for that club over the last five to six years. So hundred percent. I'm hoping he doesn't fall victim to it because that's a, there's a really good player in there. Like there's a really, really good player. And um, I hope that Ten Hag is able to bring it out of him. Um, or I hope that he moves on before it, it gets like beaten out of him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you would hope, but yeah. <laughs> TBD. <laughs> Anyway, well, let's take a quick break. We want to talk about the North London Derby, obviously, as well, because it was a very, very entertaining, entertaining game. And then we'll uh, we'll wrap up with some some more surprises and disappointments for the week. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, we are back talking the North London Derby and Rian. You said to me something while we were just on a break that uh, that I find really funny. You said the North London Derby is your favorite fixture throughout the entire Premier League season. Always entertaining. Of course, when these teams are good, um, I think that that's super fair. But always entertaining. Always As long as one of them is good. All right. Well, in this case, that's very much true. So I'll give you that. But I'm surprised you basically did not pick any, potentially any other fixture, um, whether it's Manchester Derby, the Merseyside Derby, the any of the other London derbies, anything like that. But uh, you go with the North London Derby. Okay, tell me tell me a little bit about why, and then I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think mostly because, like, the expectation going into the game, almost no matter how much better the other one is, most of the time, like, the expectation is still that either team could win the game. Yeah. Or draw it, of course. And then also, like, you just know someone's going to do something stupid <laughs> almost every night. Like, you're like, Garrett, someone will do something stupid, like, nine times out of ten. Someone on either team, sometimes on both, will do something stupid. And um, <laughs> and that always makes games more interesting, too. Silly goals and, and stupid decisions. Um but yeah, I think like I think the Merseyside Derby is a good is a, is a one of my favorites as well too because that one is like not the same because we just over the last five to six years we just expect Liverpool to win that game every time. Yeah. Um, but it is normally more difficult for them than you thought it was going to be. Um, and then I mean this season they drew, so like it it's usually more difficult than than uh, you expect, but they usually eke it out. Just with the North London Derby, like you, you're like literally any team could win these games, um, and you just don't get that really with especially the Manchester Derby right now, which we just talked about. Which hasn't that's felt, really true. Hasn't felt like United could win in those games for a long time. Um, <laughs> and then I think when you think about the London Derbies in general, I think I think from a neutral point of view, Chelsea Tottenham is it's got to be up there as well, but. Um, the the rest of the they just don't really i think the occasion doesn't feel as tense or as aggressive as like the north london derby is which on top of that is very competitive too so that that's why it's like my favorite picture that's fair all all valid reasons uh i do like the the chelsea tottenham shout especially after the season uh, or <laughs> earlier this season um but the North London Derby is always entertaining. I want to talk about the game in more detail 
because coming into this game, I feel like we've had our, our concerns with Spurs, right? One of the things that I was really, really looking to in this game was how does Richarlison fare in really his first major, major start, um, right, for, for Spurs? And not to pick on him too much, but I thought he was one of the worst players in this game. And there was someone who was sent off in this game. So I feel like that in and of itself was a big concern. But the other thing I was looking forward to is really seeing how Gabriel Jesus, Martinelli, how they combine against what I would call a pretty pretty counterattacking side in Spurs. Like, yeah. I, I think that's a pretty fair statement. And the reason why I was looking forward to to those two specifically is really seeing, are they going to try and exploit kind of on, basically on the counter as well? Or mm. are Arsenal going to be more, basically have more pausa, right, as the Spanish say? Or were they going to be more tempered in in their approach? And I think you saw a pretty good combination of both from Arsenal. But what I was most impressed about was their inability to let Spurs really feel comfortable on the ball or fully have the ball at all. Like Arsenal looked so comfortable in their own skin playing at any portion of the pitch. And I think two, two of the biggest reasons behind that are Arteta and his coaching and tactical astuteness uh, as it relates to this game. And B the basically the upgrade that the squad got over the summer, something that we've been asking for for the last three years. So High level, those are my takeaways. What did you think of kind of Arsenal going into this game and and then also during? Yeah, I, I think from the Arsenal standpoint, like they would have gone into this game. I know I just said that like there's almost never like a favorite as the innings can go either way, but Arsenal would have gone into this game, I think, as a, as the favorite. Obviously, they were top of the league and played well in pretty much every one of their games, I'll still maintain that they played well against United and just, you know, didn't finish, um, which can happen. But in this game specifically, like they were, they were great again, again, just like really, really solid defensively. I thought Saliba again was fantastic for, for them. Um, Gabby, uh, Gabrielle, I should say, um, he made the mistake for the penalty. Like that was a pretty stupid just a stupid uh, yeah. tackle attempt. <laughs> it um, was actually, that, if you look up like the blatant definition of a penalty, that is what you get. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was, it was really clumsy, um, but they didn't let that affect their rhythm. Uh, and I think that's always really, really impressive. Well, because they were, they were totally all over Spurs in that game. And, and up till that penalty, like that was, that was maybe the second time that Spurs had gotten to Arsenal's box in, in the match up until then. Um, and it was just a, just a clumsy decision, but I, I, I think they were fantastic. They outshot Spurs twenty two to six. Um, we'll we'll talk a bit more about Spurs front line, but Kane, Son, and Richarlison basically got nothing from um, from Arsenal in terms of good chances, um, in terms of being able to get into the box, and and I thought Arsenal was great at just not allowing Spurs to move the ball up the field um but i think like all you can say right now is like this is for me this is the second best team in the league and it's not really close right now um they're, they're only second to man city in terms of um goals in 
terms of goals allowed, they're actually they've conceded less than City. Um, and you know, the thing that I always like to look at it in terms of sustainability point of view, like they're second in terms of uh, expected goal difference per game, and they're at plus one point oh five. Like like they're City's at almost plus two, but, but yeah, but still, yeah. you know, there's no one really close um to Arsenal in that point of view and, and I, I think you got to feel really good about this team you have to feel really really good uh it sounds like you're making an argument for them being the second best team in the prem right now yes that... definitely okay no, definitely. i just want to yeah. make sure i understood that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes they're second in all the things that the team who's in who's uh i think the best team is, <laughs> is, is, is uh good at so yeah, uh, again, like you said, you already you already said it. Um, props to Mikel Arteta, and then um, really impressed with Arsenal, like a, as a, as a whole right now. And just you got to keep your fingers crossed that they stay healthy in the key positions. And and um, yeah, I, I think I I think they should walk it to at least second <laughs> like this season i'm i'm not as bullish on that right because maybe not we, a we, lot we, is walk is a, is walk a bit yeah we're, we're, yeah, yeah that's I should temper. we're still eight games in um yes i think i think right now they they are comfortably the second best team sure i would 100 percent agree with that and what i think is i don't know if you have this on you because i'm putting you on the spot here but their expected goal difference last season essentially per game versus their expected goal difference per game this season would be probably the one stat I would be the most interested in seeing because defensively Saliba and Gabriel have both been just well Gabby we'll call but uh, to not confuse the Gabriels but um, (laughs) have just been incredibly solid at the back incredibly solid and this isn't just like Almost, what's the Italian phrase for for defending like that they used in the eighties and nineties? Oh, cata catenaccio. Yes, catenaccio. It's not like that style of defending, but it's very very intelligent defending, right? And I think you see that in that clip when I think it's Saliba that kind of rolls it through. Was it Son's legs like that ball in Arsenal's own box, right? Oh yeah, to play out uh, of the back. Ben White. Ben White. Sorry. But the confidence to do that is bold. And secondly, what that means, and I, and I saw this throughout this game. I'm not talking about just this instance. I saw it throughout this game where those passing lanes were open, right? Like the reason why that they're comfortable on the ball is because those passing lanes have been created for them. And that's, again, a tactical thing. And then additionally, both of this entire back line all of a sudden now has felt reinvigorated by the confidence around them, by the, by the confidence, by the man next to you, essentially. And I, I genuinely, think it's a very important thing. That's not something that we talk about enough. And I, as long as Arsenal, as long as Arsenal don't basically get into a mental rut of losing like back-to-back games, for example, they absolutely should finish top four. The one thing we have not seen from Arsenal so far is, what does this team do in the face of adversity? Like real, real, real pain. Um, hopefully, hopefully I don't go through that. Um, but obviously the United loss was just kind of the biggest thing. Yeah. And they bounced back well from that. So exactly. I, I, um, 
I think obviously like men- mentality, I, I hate to use that word very much, but it's important. And notice, and they, notice and they, I didn't say that. I very yeah, specifically yeah. did not. Yeah, but like the, the important thing is like they have the quality. Like that's that is the important thing above all. Um they have the quality and um they are comfortable in like you said, comfortable in their skin, like playing the way that they are playing because now they've had two almost two and a half years, somewhere two and a half years, basically, almost three years um, of playing this way, of, of getting to know the positions they need to be in, you know, the tempo that needs to be played, like everything that comes with, with having a new coach. So they're comfortable and they have the quality now too. So that's those two things put them in a, a better position than, 18 other teams in the league right now so essentially yeah yeah um well so is it time to move on to the other side of I, I was just about to say um do you want to touch on the fact that arsenal play a certain other top quote-unquote team and coming up next weekend yes i do before but but want to just touch on tottenham first before we we move on to that uh, um, if, we, if we must yes continue. i i i did i uh tease it a little earlier like kane son and richarlison were not able to find space and not able to find much joy in this game outside of the penalty to be more specific with it they combined for 27 touches in the attacking third and in the in the penalty box, they combined for eight touches in that entire game. Yikes! And and, and and it sounds bad. It sounds bad. It is bad, by the way. But it it sounds worse on those three specifically. But there's this whole underlying problem with Spurs in a product of the way that they play. I'll put it. I'll put it that way. Um, is that they rely a lot on their attackers to be really efficient, of course, um, but specifically like their midfielders to be extremely good passers and like, and be able to create chances for the front three or, or specifically get the ball to the front three. And we've seen now like this, this game, the way it went is like the alternate universe of the Chelsea Spurs game from the beginning of this season, because Spurs got dominated in the exact same way. Right. And Arsenal were able to take their chances and, and kill the game off. I mean, obviously with help from a stupid decision or or stupid play by, um, by Emerson. And like, like I was saying earlier, we had two players make really stupid decisions during this game Gabby and Everson. So again, the, the process, it just, it repeats itself. But um, from Spurs, like just creating point of view, like Sun led the team in that game with three progressive passes. Elias, do you want to guess how many Arsenal players had at least three progressive passes on their own? Out of 11, I'll say six. Close, seven. Seven different <laughs> Arsenal players had at least yeah. three progressive passes just on their own. Um, and granted that a lot of that is weighted by just Arsenal having the ball more, of course, right? But you look at Hoiberg and Betancourt, they combined for three progressive passes together. And it's just like, how are you supposed to, how is how are Kane Richardson and Son supposed to succeed 
when they, they can't get the ball, right? And and part of that has to do with Arsenal's really good press, but also the limits of, of Spurs' midfield um, in just like a passing ability. Super fair, super fair. And I, I, I would say that I thought that some of that was down to the fact that Spurs do play less progressively um, and the number of progressive passes are relative to the rest of the Premier League are not super high. Although that, that number of players with more than three progressive passes in a game, like it's just sad, honestly, (laughs) like it just, it genuinely is. I think what's actually more sad is the number of touches um, between uh, the, the the front three that, that is probably more shocking beyond the progressive passes to me. But point taken, I don't know who Spurs play next, but they. I don't think. To... I don't. I don't. I don't think their schedule gets much easier. That's no. that was going to be my point. I was going to say that's a great segue into. No, is it disappointment from this from this past weekend? Spurs play Brighton next. And... Oh my god, they play Brighton, Everton, and then United. <laughs> <laughs> A mixed um, bag. Okay. A mixed like, bag. Yeah. A mixed bag. Um, Everton have been playing very well recently. They got their second win in a row. But um, they, yeah, Spurs play Brighton, who this past weekend, yeah, you know, I think, I can't remember if it was last, I think last season they also got a draw at Anfield. Um, and I think it was when they, after they'd gone down 2 0. So this game they went up 2 0 um, and end, end up drawing with Liverpool. But Brighton, just we're we're great we're, we're great again um specifically Leandro Trossard with a hat trick the guy that's like really raised his level of play I feel like in the last two seasons especially this season and you're seeing him get the rewards um by getting the call-ups to Belgium and expect to see him in Qatar you know injuries permitting Brian were great um but the disappointment it has to continue with the Liverpool's defending right? Like they're still just conceding so many big chances. Uh, Elias, last season, it took 11 games for Liverpool to concede the amount of goals they've scored. They've conceded in the seven games this season, which is nine goals, right? To go another level, they've conceded in four games in the league, they conceded at least 1.4 XG. Last season, it took them 23 games to reach four games where they conceded that that much in XG. And overall, it only happened six times all last season. So it, it, it's an issue uh, that we've been seeing all season is that more than we've ever seen before, they're conceding a lot of big chances they're not i think past they would offside the offside line would have worked like the high line would have worked or van dyke or matip whoever um or fabinho would have stopped the chance happening um at the last second right but it's not happening anymore so i have two thoughts here one is we need to remember that last season for Liverpool was considered a poor defensive season. It was a season where they started similarly slow, right? In terms of a defensive, uh, defensive performances. 
now that is statistically like you just shared um worse off record than it was last season so it kind of begs the question right why okay so something that Jurgen Klopp said this past weekend was actually really interesting to me he basically talked about for like four minutes about how a lot of people have been picking on Trent recently for being defensively woeful, right? We can talk about the Napoli game. We can talk about about three games, at least the season where he has just been visually really, really poor. And it just looks optically really bad. And Jurgen Klopp was asked about that this week or this past weekend. And his response was interesting to me. He basically said, look, the reason why Trent looks like that is because I'm asking him to be in different positions. I'm not asking him to come back and always defend. That's not necessarily always his role. But what I am asking him to do on the offensive side is still leading to the same, essentially, goal output that we're seeing um, for, compared to last season, albeit through Bobby Firmino, which I don't really have an explanation for. But from an attacking standpoint, things are exactly as is. So, Again, that begs the question, what's going on defensively if it's not Trent, right? And and to say to say it's not Trent, I think, is incorrect. I think there, there's still reasons to believe that he is a defensive liability for, uh, for Liverpool, as we've seen for quite honestly three years. I think it's just been, and this is kind of my point, it's been covered. And the one thing I think Liverpool are lacking right now is defensive cover for each other. It's the ability to basically say, okay, one man is out, whether it's out of position or out of the field of play, and another individual comes in behind to defensively just man mark. And you aren't seeing that as much this season with Liverpool. I think Fabinho has had some physical fitness issues, especially a couple weeks ago. That has been a big loss. And you can't, I think, as we've been two, two plus years on from the champions three years now, the champions league winning side, you can't necessarily rely on Henderson and I'll say Milner as he started a few of these games to be defensive covers because they will be outrun simply. That's, that's what it comes down to Tiago. On the other hand, from just a defensive prowess standpoint, a has his injury issues. So playing time is difficult and B his profile has always been of a progressive passer and as a creator. It hasn't always been as a, a defensive midfielder. In fact, I'd argue playing in the six is actually his his worst midfield position. But generally speaking, I think the issue just comes down to cover. That's a long story short. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I'd go even further. I think they simply don't have three midfielder, three center midfielders right now that they can rely on from a defensive standpoint. Um I think, like you said, Fabinho's had some issues with injuries, but I think he's still been, when when on the pitch, specifically when on the pitch with Thiago, like the two of them, I think, have been good defensively in terms of covering and, and keeping the high press, right? But they don't have a third midfielder they can rely on from that point. Like They've played Harvey Elliott, who you know is just more of an attacking midfielder, so you're running a risk. You're running a pretty big risk there. Um, and then... Henderson, obviously, like like you were saying, like in this game, another one with zero tackles, one and zero attempted. Yeah, and he's it, yeah, one for nine on successful pressures. Uh, and then you know you mentioned Milner; he came on for thirty minutes for the last thirty <laughs> minutes of this game. 
Uh, and he was over one on his tackles and, and one for five on, the, on his successful pressures. So they're not stopping the ball from getting, we, we we've talked about this for, for weeks now. Like they're not stopping yeah. the ball from getting to their defenders. Um, and the only way that that changes is if they play a completely different way and it's probably just not going to happen. Right. And as, as, as Klopp was pretty much explaining, right. Like, I think we've talked about that before too, like the risk reward concept with, with uh, Liverpool where they play this way because the reward of it is winning the ball high up, um, winning it in the midfield and then having players like to play the ball directly to in vertical spaces. And um, that's how they believe that they win can win games. And, and they have won games, a lot of games, a lot of games for the last five years playing that way. Right. Um, but like the risk, of course, is space at the back um, and players having to defend 1v1 a lot. And and right now, like the the risk they're taking is still as high as before, but they're not executing it to the to the level that they have um, over the last five years. And that is like, you know, the 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 vent in the death star that, that they shoot. <laughs> like, like if, if, if the press is not working, the press isn't absolutely like even 90% of the level that, that it, that it is at its best. Like then you lose so much. It's very lot. It, it gets lopsided very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's a really good point. Well, any other uh, disappointments you want to share before we, we sign off? No, no, no disappointments. Um, the the one like pleasant surprise I'll quickly mention is we saw a first start for uh, I believe it's John Lucas Kamaka, yeah. um, for West Ham this past weekend, and I thought he was great. Um, no, he, he scores scores a good goal. Obviously, there was his first Premier League deflection. Goal. Yeah, first Premier League start, I should say, and and first Premier League goal. Um, obviously there was a big deflection on the goal, but. <laughs> But we don't, we don't, no, 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 we don't talk about that. He's on my fantasy <laughs> prem team. Nope, none of that. It was on target, so they, they can't take it. Yeah, that. there you go. <laughs> um, but he scored, but he showed that, like, not only can he be an upgrade on, on Mikel Antonio from just like pure talent and skill, but he was also really effective within West Ham's playing style. Like, he was, I thought he was really good on the counters. He only had 21 touches, but he did lead all West Ham starters in progressive carries. And then also, he was effective in, in playing on the counter um and not being the focal point like he was second on the team in progressive passes and um you saw a lot of like really nice passes from him especially to to bowen a couple times um and you saw a player that's like more willing to be involved in the build-up than antonio like a, a majority of his touches from that game were from the middle third of the pitch and just he averages more touches in the middle third than than Mikel antonio does so you also have a player who can help with like the link up more than than Antonio could. Um, so I, I was really impressed by, by his first start. And uh, I think this is like the beginning of, of basically him taking over from Mikel Antonio. Uh, and I think having Mikel Antonio as a guy to bring off the bench uh, against a tired defense, like is still a really nice thing to have. So, and, and we saw him quite literally in person a week ago. Uh, yes, we did. Play, yeah. And, and that was actually one of the things that we noticed, like, I think the the battle between him and Otamendi slash Romero was yeah. just physically outmatched. Um, it's still a very good good outlet. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, but that was that was the last one. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, 
We've got two, we've got a good game next week with Liverpool Arsenal. I'm very yeah. excited for that. That's definitely going to be our game of the week next week. Two weeks, <laughs> Liverpool two... have to go play City. In two weeks, Liverpool have to go play. City. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh my God. Those, oh, those... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, in two weeks, the Classico is also in two weeks. Um, so we have a fun, fun couple weeks in October. And oh, don't for even forget all the Champions League games also going on. It's a very, very every busy week, month. <laughs> every week in October. So football truly is back for the World Cup, and we are back with regular podcasts. So. As always, thank you all for listening. Thank you for staying with us throughout the last hour or so. And we'll be back very soon. Thanks, guys.